Well, listen, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Maurice. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I have the awesome opportunity of being a teaching pastor here. Um, And for you who are online, I want to shout you out as well. Everybody that's here in person, but also I want to give a huge shout out and appreciate everybody that's tuning in online, whether it's live or it's on demand. Uh, If you don't know, we have a ton of people that are uh, actually watching online or doing things that are um, on demand. Um, I forget exactly where it was, but we did some analytics, and it was somewhere like in, I think, the Czech Republic or something, where um, somebody was tuning in and watching our uh, church. So I was like, I don't know who we have out there. Maybe our next church plan will be there. But um, it was so cool to think about that. So um, today, I'm excited. I'm excited that I get a chance to share with you and to continue a little bit of the Christmas story. Um, if you've been here, we started a series last week entitled, It's the Little Things. And before I even get started, what I love about this title, is not so much that it's a title that we came up with, uh, but it reminded me of something that just took place a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, um, Facebook has this feature where they do something online um, where they send you a notification. And I got a notification a couple of weeks ago, and Facebook has this feature where they do a Facebook memory. And a Facebook memory, anybody know about a Facebook memory? you right, all right. So it'll give you a notification about something that you posted maybe two years ago. So if today's the 12th, it'll show you something you posted on Facebook two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. Um, a little social media advice, if you have not gone back 10 years ago to delete the things that you said 10 years ago, please go back and do so. Um, I went down a rabbit hole one time and I was looking at stuff and I'm like, who was this little punk kid in 2010 talking like this, right? It was just like, you know, I can't sleep, who's up? And like my A's were like the little at sign and I'm like cringing, like, ugh, why why do types like that? Um, But this Facebook feature came up, I got a notification uh, a couple weeks ago and it was not so much mine, um, it was actually a post that I was tagged in from this gorgeous woman named Aisha. Um, It says this right here, I'm gonna uh, read it for you. It says, I've been working out in the living room, this is December 4th, 2020. Since I've been working out in the living room since the pandemic and tag Maurice Cox has been cheering me on, especially when I get tired. This is my favorite hashtag. It's the little things. I thought about that today as she's speaking prophetically from 2020 in December. And it made me think to myself how much it's the little things that matter in life. Married people, you know this. Come here, let me talk to you for a second. Married folk, it's not so much the extravagant ring that you buy and that she gets to show her friends. It's not so much the big trip that you take the family on. It's not so much the big, huge house or the nice car, but it's the little things. It's those moments when you walk past one another and you realize we haven't hugged in a while. And so one of you circles back and you embrace one another a little bit longer than normal. It's those moments that you get the chance to realize, I get a chance to be a person in my spouse's life that I get to speak life. When's the last time I got a chance to speak life into my marriage, speak affirmations into my spouse? Fellas, come here, let me talk to you for a second. I've only been married six years, but I got a few things that I've learned along the way about it being the little things. Those moments that you get a chance to buy flowers and leave a card as she walks to the house and the card just simply says, just because it's Thursday. It's the little things. It's not so much the extravagant, over-the-top things. It's those moments when you pick up your dirty clothes. (laughs) 
It's those little things when you get a chance to lean into what it is and your role in your marriage. It's those moments that you get a chance to actually take a moment to even realize the inside jokes from your first date that you had, and you begin to remind each other of that. I got one more for you. Can I share one more for you? I learned this a long, a long time ago from a mentor of mine. Uh, fellas, ladies aren't in the room right now. It's just me and you talking, okay? So it's that moment that when you want to go over and beyond, you want to do something a little bit more than usual, um, what you can do is when your wife is in the shower, you have that towel that she dries off with. You take that towel, you throw it in the dryer. Get it nice and toasty, nice and crispy. I'm, I'm giving you game right now. I hope y'all listen. I'm giving you game. Get it nice and toasty. You kind of time the moment that she gets out. But not only that, when, it, when you take it out, don't just take it out just yet. That cologne that she loves smelling on you. Don't spritz it too much. Just do a little, just a little spritz. Then as soon as she gets out, you take that little crispy towel. Here you go, baby. Just, and she feels that like, mm, wow. Feel my husband with me right now. It's not the big things, people. It's the little things that matter. Would you take a chance to go a little bit further and beyond? Are we, are we talking about the Christmas story or are we talking about a marriage seminar? Slow your horses. I'm on my way. I'm just taking a long route, helping a few marriages along the way, including myself. The point that I'm making is that it's the little things, not only that matters in marriage, not only that matters in life, not only that matters in relationships, but when we look at the Christmas story, we see that God, his mode of operation, his MO is working through the little things. When he decided to show all of his love and express his love to humanity, he didn't do it in this ostentatious, extravagant way. What he did was he came through a little town called Bethlehem through a little couple that would be deemed insignificant. He came through a little Middle Eastern Jewish boy named Jesus. If this is to be true about God, that he doesn't always work in the big, grandiose things, but it's some of those, some of those small things, those little things that matter, the question that I have for some of us as we start our time together is what are the little things that you're ignoring in your own world? that God's trying to get your attention, that God's using the little things to draw you closer to his son Jesus, but you are walking right past. What are the interruptions that you deem as insignificant? What are the relationships that you would call regular, the moments that you would call mundane, the laughter that you would just call foolish? What are the little things? My encouragement to all of us is don't miss the little things. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians. He's writing to a church here. Paul is a follower of Jesus, and he says, and God chose the small things, things that people despise. Yes, he chose even the things which seem to be nothing. He did this to destroy the big things. He did this so that people would not be proud before God, and God chose the small things. As we start our time together, we are starting with the foundation of it's the little things. And today, the passage that we'll read together, I want to highlight the perspective of the wise men. See, the wise men show us a few things that I want to detail for us today, but one of the things that they do is that they hold on to a little thing that brings them everything. They hold on to a little thing that brings them 
everything. Let me pray just for a moment as we start our time. God, it's the little things, even now, that you're speaking through. May you give us ears to hear and eyes to see how you are calling all of us into a deeper relationship with your son. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The wise men hold on to a little thing that brings them everything. Since we have established that God uses little things today, I want to preach from the thought, all I need is a little bit of hope. All I need is a little bit of hope. The wise men, as we read their story, they'll, we'll see that through the entire process of them entering the scene and exiting the scene, they hold on to this little thing that brings them everything which is hope. Today, I want to talk about hope because for a lot of us in this room, all we need is a little bit of hope. All we need is a little bit of encouragement. Hope is that powerful. And maybe you haven't thought about it. Maybe you haven't sat with it consciously, but all of us in this room, we've experienced it. I remember experiencing some time ago, um, as you can see, this is going to be a social, uh, social media kind of reference and social media relationship. I remember I had a little bit of hope uh, in 2012, when Aisha added me on Twitter. For those of you who are a little bit older in the room, she just called me out on Twitter to just simply say, uh, I see you pretty much. Uh, we were having this back and forth conversation. We were, you know, going back and forth. And I was like, once again, like foolish eight years ago, just talking about all sorts of stuff. And we're talking about like the huge debate of like, can guys and girls be friends? And I'm like having this whole like stupid argument. And Aisha like adds me on Twitter and like we're talking a little bit. And I'm like in church at the time, so I'm like, you know, like, this is nothing. I'm not about to act like this is something. And then she says, oh, yeah, we didn't get a chance to talk today in church. Next time you see me, handle that. And as soon as I heard to handle that, I was like, oh, got it. Like, I just needed a little bit of hope. That's all I needed was a little bit of hope. It's all right to laugh. I just was like, oh, this is what this is about. Okay. I just needed a little bit of hope. You've probably been there before. One thing, one text message, one DM, one mention, one whatever it may be, one phone call can change your situation for you to have hope. Maybe you've been there before. The potential employer tells you, I had a great interview. We'll call you next week. That's all I need is a little bit of hope. For some of you in the room, that's in, you're in school. The teacher emails you and says, you're behind, you're about to fail. But if you turn these in, you could have a passing grade a little bit of hope. All you need is a little bit of hope. Sometimes it's that gas needle that's moving. It is not even moving, and you're just trying to make it home, and you're like, I need, that's all I need is hope to make it to this gas station, and that needle is not going down. That's all I need is a little bit of hope. It's those moments when you walk into somewhere, and you think that it's the last item on the shelf, and someone takes it, and they say, we might have some more in the back. It's a little bit of hope. That's all we need in this world. Married couples, one more time, I'm going to come back to you. Um, it's that time when uh, I have a headache right now, but maybe later. That's, you'll catch that some other time. But all, I, all we need is a little bit of hope. In the words, I'm going to be real up here, all right? Is that all right with you? Yeah. All we need is a little bit of hope. In the words, a pastor Jim Carrey in Dumb and Dumber, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> come on, my movie people in the room. All we need is a little bit of hope. I'll put it to you this way. It doesn't take much for us to become hopeful. It doesn't take much for us to become hopeful. And as we look at the story of the wise men, 
They had to go through a few things, but it doesn't take much for us to be encouraged, for us to be spurred on, for us to be supported when we are in a moment where it feels like it's despair and something in the instant can change. And in the story of the wise men, Jesus decided, God decided to show his love and express his love to all of humanity, and it was a little baby's birth that changed everything. The scripture tells us that there was a moment of silence where there wasn't a lot of prophetic voices. There wasn't a lot of God's presence being felt and known among the people before the birth of Jesus. There was hundreds of years where people would call it a silent period. And it felt as if there was such a dwindle and a decline. It was dark. And there was no hope in the world that people could have. But people who knew the scriptures had a little bit of hope. They held on to something. They held on to a word. Have you been there before where all you needed was a word of encouragement that changed your world? That all you needed was that little bit of word and it was just that boost that gave you that oomph to keep moving in life. They had God's word from what we call the Old Testament and prophets would declare that a son will be born and something will change the trajectory of our world just a little bit of things going our way for us to become hopeful. Maybe for some of us in the room, it's a little bit of drop in weight. It's the increase in a salary. It's the good news from a doctor. It's lesser and lesser moments where our anxiety takes over. But in the same breath, I have to be fully honest with us, and we'll see this in the story, that it doesn't take much for us to become hopeful, but in the same breath, it doesn't take much for us to become hopeless. Am I right? Once again, a phone call, news, turn on the news channel, we see instance after instance and injustice after injustice, and we recognize it doesn't take a whole lot for us to go in the opposite direction. The same few things that I just mentioned to us, when things don't go our way, and it's the increase in the weight that we thought that we were working on and we were eating right and we're going to the gym and yet I'm going up and not down. When we get on the scale or, or the decrease in a salary or the bad news from the doctor or more and more moments where our anxiety takes over. The very same things that can cause us to become hopeful are the same things that can cause us to become hopeless. And this Christmas season, as all of us are stepping into this moment with all sorts of things, and the range is so, such a variety where people are excited, there's moments where people are really leaning in, and there's some people where we can see clinically that there's a season of seasonal depression during this time. Well, for some of us, daylight savings, we got excited, but getting darker at 4.30, scientists tell us clinic depression is kicking in even higher. People, but for us, for some of us, this is going to be a first Christmas without someone at the table. Grief and sadness may enter in. The same things that can give us hope are the same things that can give us, that can, can cause us to become hopeless. So I ask for all of us in this Advent season, as we look towards this Christmas story, as we look towards the season of remembering the birth of Jesus and how it applies to us today, my question that I want to ask you is, do you have hope this season? Do you have hope 
in this season. I want to extract a little bit more and flush out this topic of hope because I think if we don't get hope right, I think we'll approach the Christmas season all wrong. For some of us, our hope happens to be handcuffed to whatever's happening. And sometimes we can find out that this is a hope roller coaster. And we all find ourselves on this whole roller coaster sometimes. We can see that this is actually a way that can actually cause more detriment to ourselves because what's happening is always changing. So should my hope be placed in what's happening? Some of us have our hope tied to a political agenda. It's always changing every four years, maybe even less. Some of us have our hope tied to culture. It's always changing. Some of us have our hope tied to people. And if you lived more than five days on this world, you'll recognize that people let you down. Some of us have our hope tied to a world's system that's always changing. And because we are handcuffed to what's happening, sometimes we can go through seasons of recognizing we get to a place of having hope fatigue. Have you been there before? That you've tried to hope. And sometimes it costs so much and it feels like so much weight for you to even hope again. I feel that there's some people in this room that, Maurice, it feels a little bit more of exhausting to try to hope again because last time this happened. And to get myself back up again and to hope again knowing this changed. And the stock market was going this way and then I lost everything. And my hope was in this person, but then I turned my back and they stabbed me in the back and they said this about me. Hope is always on this hope roller coaster. So, Maurice, I don't even know if I'm in a space of hoping again. We must tackle this conversation of hope. And I ask the question, aren't we all tired of the hope roller coaster? Aren't we all tired of the roller coaster that has left us exhausted, insecure, lonely, Well, I want to encourage you on today that you're not alone. Not only are you not alone because of the people that you're sitting next to is probably facing some of the same things you are, but today as we look at the Christmas story, I want to talk from this perspective of the wise men and the little bit of hope that they held on to. As I studied this message, I personally felt that the perspective of the wise men shows us how we can uncuff ourselves from putting our hope in our circumstances. The very first thing that we learn, if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. We recognize is that the wise men teach us hope is a person. Hope is a person. I want to read Matthew 2, verse 1 through 2, one more time. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of Jews? For we saw his star, and when it rose, we have come to worship him. The little bit of hope that the wise men had was not in their circumstances. Hope is a person. And when we recognize that hope is a person whose name is Jesus Christ, this changes everything. Because when we recognize that hope is a person, we can look and recognize that our circumstances can say one thing, but that doesn't deny the hope that I have in Jesus. See, hope has enough range for it to handle the capacity of all of our emotions. And I think sometimes I see often people walking away 
from this faith or walking away from Jesus because it seems as if they have to divorce themselves from hope and, them, and their circumstances. Hope came into the world through this baby boy named Jesus Christ, and yet and still the circumstances were still the same. In this day and age, they were facing a lot of political oppression. There was a lot of things that they were facing, and their circumstances were nothing but dire and despair. But I come to encourage us as we enter into this Christmas season, because some of us are carrying some of that weight on today. That because hope is a person, we can have hope and hold grief in our hands. That we can have hope and disappointment. That we can have hope and recognize our situation is still not changing. Because when Jesus came to this earth, he didn't want us to have our faith and our hope and our circumstances. He has come so that we might have a Savior to be able to relieve us from the shame, the guilt, the weight of this world, carrying all of the things that we carry day in and day out. God has come to build a relationship with us, not so that your bank account can be in the high. Not so that you can live a life that is up and to the right. And the American dream, God, Jesus Christ has come. Scripture says, to save us from our sins. Today, I want to remind you that hope is a person and that we can have hope and still recognize the weight of this world. Hope does not dismiss our reality. Hope does not try to tie a bow on, uh, lack of better terms, crap. Hope does not try to say or beautify something that is going very wrong in our life. Hope in Jesus Christ is a person, and therefore we can have hope in Jesus and our eyes towards him and still recognize I'm facing some things as it relates to the depression and anxiety that I face. Here's the truth of the reality. The magi or the wise men, the scripture tells us, were people who held on to hope in a dire situation. They weren't men that were all, uh, that knew a ton of things, but they did have a sense of knowing astronomy. They were well intelligent and well versed when it came to some of the scriptures. One of the things that we recognize in their life is that in spite of the cost, they were still hopeful. That's the second thing that we learned from the wise men, that they were hopeful in spite of the cost. What do I mean by that? Listen, the Bible says that they came from the east. If you do a little bit of a historical context, this would mean Persia. And Persia, the travel from Persia to Jerusalem is 700 to 800 miles long. This isn't where they had Tesla and Elon Musk. We're not talking about today's time where 708 miles is not that long. by foot and probably by cattle, uh, a camel and wildlife, whatever that may be, they traveled 700 to 800 miles following a star to come to Jesus. And in the story, little small myth buster, they didn't get there when the Jesus was born. I know the nativity scene tells us this. But, but theologians would tell us and scholars would tell us that they got there around 18 months to two years of age when Jesus was an adolescent. What the wise men teach us and what I want us to hold on to is that even during their journey, even during their long trek, even during all of the miles that they had to walk, they held on to a little bit of hope. 
And I want to encourage us on today that the journey towards Jesus that the wise men had to take pales in comparison that the journey that Jesus took to earth to come in the form of human beings, in the form of a human to be with us. I'm going to say it one more time because I don't think we caught that. I'm going to be going over your head for a second. The journey towards Jesus that the wise men had to take pales in comparison that the journey that Jesus took towards earth, coming from glory, coming from heaven, coming all the way and wrapping himself in human flesh so that he could express his love to every single one of us. This is the story of the Christmas. This is the Christmas story. And what we see is that it's going to cost us something. I don't know where you are. I don't know where you sit in this moment, but you can have hope in spite of the cost. Two things that the wise men teach us is that they cost them comfort and it cost them certainty. They were not certain that the star, they weren't 100% that the star was going to guide them to, their, to Jesus, but they had a little bit of hope that they held on to mile after mile after mile. It cost them their reputation because they looked like fools. It cost them walking through the desert, leaving their families behind, doing this because they knew that, or they had a, an idea, they had a, a hope that Jesus was going to be at the end of this. Which always comes to a point of recognizing, is this journey worth it? Maybe you've been there today. Recognizing in your own life as you go to church, as you try these things, as you get into a core group, as you build some friendships and you start to think to yourself, but is it worth it? My, my circumstances aren't changing much. It's costing me this, this, this reality that people don't really believe like I do. And I'm living in a way that's very different than others. But is this thing worth it? Reminded me of the story of my mom. And I don't know if I told this before, but uh, I have a twin. And I was seven pounds. My brother was six pounds. And my mom would actually, when she got in her, to her third trimester, had to walk on a cane. My, my dad, my mom would line up her belly against the counter, and my dad would like make these marks. You know how like, you make marks of like kids getting taller and taller? And he would make these marks, and it literally started like getting so, I mean, we have pictures still today of my mom's belly just out there. Like moments where I'm just like, mom, thank you. Um, I don't know what else to tell you. Um, Mother's Day comes around, and I just look at that picture like, my goodness. And here's the thing with my mom is that she has these moments um, during family time, whether it's Christmas, whether it's Easter, whatever it may be, where she starts telling the birth of her big head baby boys. <laughs> she starts talking, and her eyes start getting a little glossy. I was born in St. Francis Hospital in Linwood, California. And when this was taking place, she starts to detail it. And there was this weird thing that was taking place at the time in L.A. that people were like swapping babies or people were like even taking some of other people's babies. And my mom, she talks about how she laid on that cold gurney. And she birthed us out and all the things. And I came first. I want to just make that well known. I came first. No, twins are not the same. I came first. I'm the oldest by 60 seconds, and I'm going to hold on to all 60, all right? And she says that one came, and then the other came, and then she leans over to my dad, and she yells out to him, follow my babies. I don't want nobody taking them. 
And with eyes, with her eyes teary-eyed, and she tells the story every single time. And me and my brother, and we go embrace my mom. And there's these moments every now and then that as I look at those pictures and we laugh and we joke and all that, and I'm like, Mom, oh my goodness, you're like 29 years old. Was this, was this, would you do this again? Like, like what, like, oh my gosh. And she talks about, you know, even having a kid after us and all those things. But one of the things that she always detailed was, this was one of the most traumatic, excuse me, traumatic things that has happened to me. It's one of the most difficult things that I had to go through. I never had twins before. I denied it all the way up until my third trimester that I was even having twins. It hurt. My back was aching. We had to have a huge C-section. My stomach was never the same. But if the reward was my baby boys, I'd do it all over again because it's worth it. Today, as you take this journey, some of you sit in the space of being like the wise men. Maybe some of you are inspecting and seeing to find out a little bit more about this Jesus thing. Can I encourage you, whether you're a person who's a follower of Jesus or not, that it's worth it. That when Jesus Christ came to this world, it was worth it. That when he lived a life that no one could live, it was worth it. That when he died a death that no one else could die and he rose again on that third day from the grave, he looks back and he can tell us like nothing, like, uh, like nothing else, it is all worth it. You can look around to some of the people that are in this room. You can watch the videos of the ascent faces here and recognize when people start detailing their stories, they can look back and still say it was worth it. The wise men teach us that hope is a person, but the, also the wise men teach us that you can be hopeful in spite of the cost. What I want us to realize in all of this is that in the Christmas story that we read, the Bible tells us that there were chief, and, and chief priests and scribes that were there. This is my, second, my other point that I want to make. Chief priests and scribes that were there. Chief priests and scribes were people who were well-learned in Scripture. They knew a ton about uh, the Torah. They knew all of these different things. They were the people that King Herod, who's in the Scripture, he tells us that King Herod called the chief um, priests and the scribes to tell him where the birth of the baby was going to be. And the interesting thing about the chief priests and the scribes that I just want to park the car and highlight for us for a moment is that they were able to point in the direction of where Jesus was, but they weren't there when Jesus was born. Simply to put it this way, that the walk of Christ, the walk that we are living, this, this uh, faith walk that we're walking in to be a Christian, this journey of being a follower of Christ, is not about how much you know about him. It's not the head knowledge and all of the intellect that you gain and the different things that you can quote and you know all about someone. It's about an intimate relationship of what do you do with what you know? Because knowledge does not equate to maturity. Maturity recognizes that all that I know about Jesus, I'm actually living into my life. I'm not just following the star to follow the star, but the star is a compass so that I can get closer that I can look at my life and see the little things that are, starting to show, that are starting to point me to Jesus Christ. Some of us are having more knowledge about Jesus than we do our relationship with Jesus. 
I can have knowledge that my wife's favorite color is lavender. I can have knowledge that my wife loves going to the Dominican Republic. I can have knowledge about these things. But if I never buy her something that has purple, if I never plan a trip to the Dominican Republic, if I never do the things I only know about her, but I don't have a depth of relationship, wise men show us that hope is a person, that we can be hopeful in spite of the cost, and also it's not about the head knowledge about God, it's about what we do with what we know. Here's where I want us to land. The wise men teach us that hope still speaks. Hope still speaks. The story starts to detail for us about a man by the name of King Herod. And King Herod was a tyrant. He was one that, uh, that scholars would say it was better to be Herod's pig than it was to be his family member. Herod killed his wife and his son because it was rooted in control and jealousy, and he began to think that someone was going to turn on him. Herod was one who was very aggressive. So when the Bible tells us that the wise men come into uh, uh, to Herod's like kingdom or whatever, and Herod is asking them, where is the son? They show us that even in, the spite, in spite of pressure, Herod shows us that we can even learn something from him. King Herod was a tyrant who led in a way that was very uh, just rude and all of these other things because when he started to hear about the king of the Jews, when he started to hear about Jesus and people begin to tell him, here comes the king of the Jews, Herod has a thought in mind that there can only be one king. And today I want to encourage you and remind you actually that there could be only one king. And many of us have a little bit of Herod inside of every single one of us. All of us get up every single morning and sit on the throne of our lives as if we're king or queen. And we try to be in control and we try to have all of the things add up and oh, we, I want my life to look this way and I want this sort of thing and I want to be here and all these things. And we try to reach for control. That's all Herod was doing was fighting for control. And some of us are in the room, control freaks. We understand we're always trying to be in control. But what Herod shows us is that there can only be one king and what Jesus is telling us today to remind every single one of us when it comes to the throne of your heart, that's for one person only. There can only be one king. And the way that hope speaks to us today is the way that I want to show us is that when hope still speaks, we still can hold on to the same thing that the wise men held on to. As the band makes their way to the stage, I think this is something important for us to recognize. Because when we read the story, I want to read one more passage for you. I want to read Matthew 2, and I want to read verse 9. It says these words right here. After listening to the king, they went their way, and, they, and the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over a place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Hope is a person. Hope, we can have hope in spite of the cost. We can have hope in spite of pressure. And hope still speaks because God used a star. He used a little thing that some might see as insignificant to guide them to his son, Jesus. 
And for some of us today, we've been wondering, God, where are you? God, I'm listening, but I don't hear you. And what I love about this story is that for the wise men, Jesus used a star. In Luke 2, another passage of Scripture, you will see that God used angels for the shepherds. For the wise men, he used a star. For the shepherd, he used angels. I say hope still speaks because God will always use what's common to you to get your attention. He didn't use angels for the wise men because that wouldn't have made sense to them. The wise men spoke astrology, so God used that. The shepherds, they were ones who were close in Jewish descent, and they knew about angels, and so they spoke angels. And for some of us in the room today, we're wondering, God, where are you? And are you still speaking? My, my, my question, though, is do we have eyes to see the little things that God is using in our world to point us? We get to a point in our lives sometimes where we get to this place of, Lord, send me a sign. I can't hear you. You know, just have a tree fall in the, the middle of the world, Lord. Just show me something. As I'm driving down the street, make all the tires just fall off. You know, sometimes we get a little crazy. Like, if you're going to be somebody, if you're going to show me, just show me. And I can only imagine that God is saying, I'm speaking your language. But do you see what I'm using? The kids that are running into your room and they're full of chaos in your world and you see it as a problem. Are you seeing that as a problem or are you seeing this as a divine interruption to come to me? How do you see your world? The way that you handle your finances, the way that you go about your marriage, the way that you handle your integrity and your character in the workplace. Hope is still speaking today. The question is, are we listening? Do we have eyes to see and ears to hear? Because the Christmas story shows us that God will use a star, that he'll use angels, and in 2009, for my own world, he used the brokenness of my situation. In 2009, I was living what I would call a double life, trying to figure things out, and I was done with it. I was done with hypocrisy. I was done trying to be this way in this group and be this way in this other group. And I got to this moment of desperation. And I remember a moment where I picked up the phone and I called my grandmother, who's a pastor till today, and I said, Granny, where do I start? I'm done trying to live this life. I'm try done trying to be king of my own throne. I'm done trying to carry all of the weight. I'm done. And I need to know if there's a God, I need to hear him. I need to be where he's at. Where do I start? My grandmother opened up the Bible and over the phone, she said, baby, I want you to turn to the book of John, chapter one. I remember at that time, I turned to 1 John, if you know about the scripture. And she started reading, or I, she told me to start reading first. And I started reading. She was like, now, baby, what Bible do you have? <laughs> we eventually got on the same track and on the same page. And I turned to John chapter 1. And when my grandma started to detail for me was Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, 
has come so that you don't have to sit on that throne, so that you don't have to sit in that place, so that you don't have to carry around the weight of this world, so that you can walk with hope. My question for some of us in this room, again, is do you have hope in this season? Now that we recognize it's not our circumstances, now that we recognize, even though we may be handling some tough times, we can still have hope. So I ask again, do you have hope? Because hope is a person who in 2009 spoke directly to me. And for some of you in the room, you're without that hope. And my encouragement to you on today is that immediately after this service, we'll have people down up front on either side of this stage ready to pray with you, ready to answer that question, where do I start? Some of us in this room that we are without relationship with Jesus, and this is my invitation to you, that hope still speaks, that hope loves you in spite of the cost, in spite of the pressure, hope is here so that you don't have to carry the things that you've been carrying, the guilt and the shame that you've been going through. And for some of us that are followers of Jesus, it's time to get off that throne again. Because like myself, we always try to find our way back onto that throne. Hope is here for every single one of us, no matter if our world is full of light or no matter if our world is full of, of, of dim and darkness. Jesus came to this world through a little town called Bethlehem so that he could be king. And what your heart and what Bethlehem has in common is that Jesus came so that he could be king of both. Today, as we end our time, we're going to go into a song. It's entitled, Oh, Come to the Altar. I wrote down the lyrics because I thought, how inviting is this? I want you to hear these lyrics be sung, and it says, Are you hurting? and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin. Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The altar is a place where we can be ourselves. The altar is a place that we can relinquish all that we're carrying. And that's my invitation to every single one of us on today. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you right now in this moment. Some of us hopeful, some of us hopeless. Some of us recognizing I need to put my hope in a person and not in my circumstances. But in all of this, Lord, as we sit in this moment and as we leave this place, you are using the little things in our life to guide you to your son named Jesus. You are using the little things. You used the star. You used angels. You used wise men. You used all of these aspects of the nativity scene, but it was all to point to your son, Jesus. 
May we have eyes to see and ears to hear in this season like never before the way hope is showing up in our life. The way hope is moving in our relationships. The way hope is moving through our family dynamics. The way hope is moving in our hearts. You have come to save us from our sins and from ourselves. And in this moment, we lift you up and say, Lord, we all come to the altar just as we are. In Jesus' name.